Welcome, so glad that you are here with us this morning. I think fifth and sixth graders are going out to their class. Y'all have a great time. Um, thank y'all. Um, well, it's, it looks a little bit different in here. As you know, there's no stage. Uh, we changed up the seating arrangement a little bit. We saw, I saw some of you walk in. You were a little bit unsure of where you should sit. You're like, what's going on here? Um, so why do we do that? What's, what are we doing here? Why don't we just keep it as is? Well, a little bit about that, just so it's not just, we didn't just decide randomly to do this, but just like we were praying, Jesus came in humility. Jesus came in an unexpected way. Jesus came in a lowly way. Jesus came in an uncomfortable way. And so in a very uh, small and a very simple way, uh, we just wanted to be on the floor, not on a stage. If Jesus was born in a manger, um, if there was no place for him, if it was uncomfortable for him, let's say, let's even posture ourselves this Christmas season uh, and not stand on a stage, not be elevated in any way, but we want to elevate the name of Jesus here. And so, and even when we walk in, uh, and it feels a little uncomfortable, maybe for those of you that have your normal spot and you go plop down and you're just used to sitting where you're used to sitting, Jesus came in a very uh, different way. He came in an uncomfortable way. And so in a very small way, we thought, uh, let's, let's be a little bit uncomfortable here this morning. Uh, let's not have a stage. Let's strip down some of the things that we're used to. Let's not go to the places we normally go to because Jesus didn't come that way. Jesus didn't come in a way that we would have expected. Jesus was uncomfortable. So in just real small ways, in a physical way, we wanted to posture ourselves in that manner this Christmas season. So that's why um, we decided to strip down uh, a little bit of this. And hopefully it feels more intimate and more um, approachable because that's how Jesus came. He came approachable uh, and lowly. Uh, we are gonna be in uh, Luke chapter two this morning in this second week of Advent. I'm gonna read uh, verses one through 14. So let's jump in here this morning. This is God's word. Very familiar passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I love these verses. 
I love these verses. Luke 2, these passages that, that have become so familiar to many of us are right up there with like the Lord's Prayer. They're right up there with like Psalm 23. And if you're a Christian, even if you're a non-Christian, even if you're not a believer, you've, you're familiar with these words. They're just sort of ingrained in us, right? When we hear our Father who art in heaven, you, just, you can just start taking it from there. When you hear the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You just know those words. They're comforting words. They're words that are familiar to us. And the same thing is true when we hear these words. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. You know it's Christmas. You hear those words. It's Christmas. But the only problem with repetitious words, the only problem with words that we are just used to hearing and we hear over and over and over again and uh, they are just ingrained in us, the only problem with that, uh, they're ingrained in us because they're important, they're powerful, they're formative, but they become, um, we almost become inoculated to them. They become familiar, they become routine, they become route, they become too close to us that we can't grasp the importance of them sometimes. I think that's sort of the problem with humanity. The things that would become so commonplace and so familiar to us, though they are the most important, become common and unimportant to us in an attempt to keep them close. Isn't that strange? I mean, even think about just in our lives, like the, the things that are very most important to us, like our spouse and our children and our family, sometimes because they're so close, we sometimes don't give them the attention they deserve. We don't give them all that they are worth to us because they're so familiar. They're just there. And this is true even of these words here. But these words, church, are huge. They're huge. Think about this. Let's maybe step back and just think for a moment about what has just transpired in these words. These words are spoken by an angel on behalf of God to the human race. This is huge. An angel is telling us what Christmas is all about. These angels are speaking. These angels are singing. These angels are declaring things about the most critical issues in all of human existence. And they say it in just a few sentences, which is remarkable. The same cannot be said of me, <laughs> right? They're very succinct, but we're going to talk for a long time about them today, right? <laughs> because it's Christmas, ready? Um, but as I was preparing this week, these last verses of this passage are the ones uh, that kind of haunted me. They marked me. Um, I read them in a new way this year. Um, and so as I begin, I want to, I just want to start here kind of at the end, if you will, and then we're going to uh, back, back into it and go through it again. But I just want to start at the end to see where we end up. And I want to read out of the NIV. I, just, I love the way that's translated. I read the first part uh, out of the ESV. But again, these angels have shown up in this dramatic fashion to these unlikely recipients of this news. It's a bunch of shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock. And these angels, the angel of the Lord appears, and this is what's proclaimed, this is what it says in the NIV, glory to God in the highest heaven, 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. On whom his favor rests. I love that translation. Think about this. Let this hit you this Christmas season. Um, The image of God's favor resting on you, finding a landing place, finding a resting place on you personally because of Jesus, because this baby was born. The favor of God coming down and resting on you. That's an incredible thought this Christmas season. I love that image. It's not, and it, this is not the way it's written either. This is not the way that it's, that it's uh, meant to come to us. It's not God's favor sort of landing lightly and tiptoeing toward you or carefully approaching you to see if you're worthy of his favor. It's not God's favor um, surveying things to see who really deserves it, to see if you are good enough or righteous enough or you've got it all together this Christmas season or you're the one that got all the lights out really early and you got to jump start. It's not that at all. It's not uh, God's favor tiptoeing toward you. It's the almighty God, his great favor, his life-changing favor landing on you because of Jesus, resting on you. When we rest, when we lay down to rest, we put our whole weight on that pillow in that bed and it holds us. Um, God's favor rests on you in that way because of Jesus. That's Christmas. That's what the angels came to tell us. Isn't that amazing? So this, here's what this means. Here's what this is telling us. Here's how we translate this. It's the, our deepest longing, our deepest, greatest need as people is that we might have and we might regain intimacy with God, that which was broken by sin and fractured by all of our failures and fractured by our harsh words and our actions that were against him and the sin that so easily entangles every one of us that we've all stumbled and fallen into. We are longing for that intimacy with God again as people and that's what Christmas does for us because of this boy that was born the favor of God now comes landing on you in a very real profound way so let's walk through this text we're going to begin in verse 8 Uh, and walk through this very famous passage. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So these shepherds are special shepherds. I think I've shared with this uh, before during the Christmas season, but I love this fact. Uh, These were shepherds. They weren't just sort of random shepherds out there in a field. They were shepherds of what's called the Migdal Eater, and it means the hill of the flock. And these, um, or the tower of the flock, it could be translated. And these shepherds were located just outside of Jerusalem. That's where Bethlehem is. And these men raised lambs for sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. Isn't that incredible? So lambs were to be born, and these shepherds watched over them, these lambs that were destined to die to atone for the sins of men in the temple, the angel of the Lord appeared to these men, caring for these lambs that were born to die. 
And the Lord suddenly, and the angel of the Lord suddenly appears and stands before them. Now, angels, uh, angels. When you we when we read the Bible, there's a whole sort of study on this angelog- angelology. Believe it or not, it's a seminary class. Um, yes, I know it's fascinating. But they don't come from heaven down to earth. They don't like travel like that. They're not really like that. Angels are non-material. Um, we know that from the multiple accounts that we read about through all of the Bible about the existence of angels and how they interact with humanity throughout the Bible. So they can take on physical existence, but only for what seems like just a few moments, right? So to burst our bubbles, angels are not uh, little tiny men with little wings, and they're playing harps on clouds. That's not how the Bible depicts them at all. They uh, sort of blink into existence in certain times in monumental cases uh, when, the Lord's, when the Lord appoints them to go. And so here, uh, they, they blink into existence, and that's exactly how it happens here, right? And listen to verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. They didn't see him coming. He just, boom, just, it was there. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what happens? And the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is huge. Um, if you were a Jew and you grew up hearing about the glory of the Lord, uh, your immediate thought and their immediate thought when, the, when they observed the glory of the Lord in an angel in front of them, the glory of the Lord hearkens your understanding to the holy of holies, the very presence of God, the dwelling place of God where he is, right? It's not just like a really cool sort of uh, moment that they were having a hard time describing. It was like, the glory of the Lord, that's the presence of God. God is in this. God is here. The glory of the Lord is the holy of holies, the very presence of God. And throughout all of the Bible, when the glory of the Lord appears to humanity, uh, humans have a very, very specific response to the appearing of the glory of God all throughout the Bible. And every time we see... uh, the Bible described the glory of God present itself to us as people. 100% of the time, human, humans are terrified. Terrified. Fear. Like, it's, it's this heightened fear. Like, the, the, the word is, they're just, here we have, I mean, listen. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, blinked into the existence. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And this is, this is the most... If you were a Jew, you'd be reading this like, oh, yep, that was the glory of the Lord. And they were filled with great fear. We see this all over Scripture. Like, well, I thought this was a Christmas message. What's this all about being filled with great fear, right? The angels come. This is so commonplace. Uh, When Jesus pulls out the miraculous amount of fish in his earthly ministry, right, what does Peter say? Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He observes the glory of God through this one Jesus and he wants to just, he wants him to go away. Like, please leave my presence. I'm not worthy to be around the glory of the Lord. Isaiah says this when the glory of the Lord is shown to him. Um, Woe is me, Lord, I am unclean. And it says that Isaiah fell as a dead man. Like he fell on his face. 
at the appearing of the glory of the Lord. Daniel in Daniel 8:17 fell as a dead man at the appearing of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel at the appearing of the glory of the Lord fell as a dead man. John fell as a dead man at the appearing of the glory of the Lord. The Roman soldier at the end of Jesus' life observing the glory of God there on the cross fell as a dead man at the appearing of the glory of God. So these angels appeared to these shepherds and they were filled with great fear. Um, We as people, um, you sitting there here today, me standing here today, um, have a built-in terror of God. We just do. It's in us from the very, very beginning. Remember Genesis? Remember the fall? Remember uh, after they sin, Adam and Eve? What do they do after they sin? The very first thing, and God is looking for them. It says, we hid from you. God. Why? While I heard the sound of you in the garden, it says in Genesis, and I was afraid. God, I was afraid. Because I was naked and I was ashamed and so I hid myself. We're all afraid of God now because of sin. Because we're all marked by it. Um, Prior to the fall, man walked in the cool of the day with God, without fear, naked and unashamed. Um, But we have this God, this infinite, enormous, powerful, um, wonderful God who knows all things about us. There is nothing hidden from him. There's nothing outside of his rule and reign. There's nothing outside his stretch. There's nothing outside his eyes. There's nothing outside his ability to see and understand and know about you because he made you. He formed you. He knows everything about you. And so we have this now terror of God, knowing ourselves and what we've done and what we're capable of and what we've thought about and what we've executed and what we've thought about, right? And the sins that so easily entangled us and what is secret sin in your life? What is secret sin that you try really hard to cover up from everyone who is most close to you that we all have that haunts all of us, that we don't talk about, that we don't share, that we stuff in the back recesses of the closets of our life, in the, in the remote corners. All of those secret places of sin and rebellion against God is not secret to God. It is open scandal in the throne room of God. He knows it all. And because of that, because the Bible is very clear about that, uh, we are all, myself included, terrified of God. We don't even like to think about it. In fact, your wish, you weren't here right now. <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be about peace. Should have called this one fear, right? That's why Adam hid, um, and that's why we hide. That's why we hide all the time. And that's why we hide it from those we love, and that's why we cover it up from those um, that we are around Uh, Because it's just built into us. Because God knows it all. And every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they begin by telling us one thing. Don't be afraid. 
And he says it here. Fear not. The first thing the angel says to Zechariah, I mean, just let's just talk about the, uh, the, the narrative of the birth account of Jesus. Angels start showing up a lot, right? And Luke, if you read it, um, the first thing the angel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid. Fear not. The first thing the angel says to Mary when he comes to tell Mary what's about to happen, fear not. The first thing he says here to the shepherds, fear not. The first thing he says to Joseph, uh, Mary's husband, don't be afraid, fear not. Don't be afraid, why? Why don't we have to be afraid now? Why does the angel have to start and say that? You don't have to be afraid because God is bringing you and I something. We don't have to be afraid anymore because God is bringing us something. Listen to this. Fear not, verse 10, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The reason we don't have to be afraid, the Bible tells us, is because we've been brought good news. The word good news here translated is gospel. The reason you don't have to be afraid of God, the reason you don't have to be afraid of this message from this angel, surrounded by the glory, intimidating glory of God that knows everything about you, is because God is bringing to you the gospel, the good news. It's literally, literally could be translated, you don't have to be afraid because I'm gospeling you. Is like how you could actually literally translate that. And gospel is news. I'm bringing you good news. It is not good advice. Religion is great advice. God's bringing us the gospel. It's good news. What is different about that? News has already happened. You don't read the newspaper for good advice. You read about what's already been done. You open up the pages to see what's happened, what happened yesterday, what happened earlier today, what has already been accomplished, what has already News is, news is history. Gospel is God saying, I am coming to you and I am bringing to you something. You no longer have to be in fear because I'm bringing you the gospel and it is very good news for not just you but for all the people that will receive this. Good news, gospel news is something. It's news because it's already happened because someone else has done it. Someone else has accomplished something that now impacts you. That's why we read the news. Whenever we read the news, we read about things that impact us because it's already happened. It's already been done. So we want to see and find out how it will affect us, how it will impact us. The same thing God is saying here. I am bringing you good news. And it's going to have a profound effect on you. And I've already decided it and I'm already working it out, and behold, it's coming, so you don't have to be afraid anymore. And it's not about your health, it's not about you getting a lot of money, it's not about a free ride, it's not about a, you want a new vacation. It is addressing the greatest, deepest human needs. Our identity, our life, how our sin can be atoned for, how we can find peace with God, this one who we are terrified of. That's the good news I'm bringing to you. Um, and this news is not just for you. It is for you, but it's for every person. This news will be brought to every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
It's for everyone. Verse 11. Why? Here's why. Here's what. Here's the subject of the news. For unto you is born. There's going to be a baby born. One singular boy. If you were here for our doctrine series, that prophecy that was said in the garden that the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. That's this. That's this moment. This one is coming. This is it fulfilled. The baby is coming and it's going to do something for you that is far above you that you have no concept of. You're just gonna get informed of it. Um, it's not gonna be the appearing of God and then the disappearing. It's going to be the actual appearing of the very Son of God. Listen to this. This day, it says, a point in history, very real time, in the city of David, in a real place, right? And it harkens back to the prophecy in Micah chapter five, which I won't read, but you should go back and listen to it where it prophesies. This is exactly where he will be in the city of David is about to see the Messiah, the chosen one is about to be born and he's going to be called something that's gonna tell you about why it's such good news this one is coming. Verse 11, he's gonna be called Savior who is Christ the Lord. This baby will save you. He will do for you what you cannot do for yourself and all we bring is our empty hands of faith. He is Christ. He is the one the entire Old Testament was anticipating. He's finally come, and this baby is Lord. He is fully man, and he's fully God. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The Son of God, the glorious one, the, the mighty one, the very son of God, the one that was there when God made you and formed you and created you, the one that was there when we, he formed the heavens and made the earth and made all things and was there in the very creation of all of it, this one is coming down to you. Where will you find this one? In a palace? No. In a castle? No. With trumpets, with everyone cheering? No. You're going to find this baby born in a feeding trough, uh, in a barn, essentially, amongst animals. And no one is going to care. But God does. Because God's doing something. And that's going to be your sign. There's going to be one baby born this day in the city of David, laid in a gutter, in humility. And he is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. The glorious one is going to the very lowest place. And what's amazing about this birth narrative of our Savior Jesus is that he um, is going to die in the same way that he was born, wrapped in cloths, placed in a cave, put in a place of death, the glorious one going to the very lowest spot imaginable. It marked his birth and it marks his death. That's who he is. That's how you find him. All throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, he is with children. He dines with sinners. He spends time talking with prostitutes. 
He walks with the least of these. He walks with fishermen. And he goes to a cross. That's where you find him. He is the ultimate servant king. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling, lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Hear the angels sing. Uh, What's interesting about this is uh, they say, I'm here to bring you good news. I'm here to bring you the gospel. And then they don't add to the message. They just sing. The message has been delivered. They don't add to it. And the angels sing. They sing at creation. And they sing again here at the new creation when a new humanity is ushered in and a new kingdom is ushered in by a new king, the servant king, this one that will be born. And they say this, they sing this song, glory to God in the highest. That means in heaven there is glory. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We have this play on words here. Glory to God in heaven above and down here, peace on earth. Praise in heaven, peace on earth. It could be translated this way, peace in men of God's good pleasure. That's how the Greek reads. Now, does this mean that Jesus comes to bring world peace? No, look around. I mean, just look at our world today. What does it mean? It means there will be peace in a very distinct group of people, those by God's good pleasure, those who take this baby and believe by faith that he is, in fact, the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord as declared by the heavens above, and he will be peace to those whom God is pleased to give it. But in order for you and I to have this peace, to grasp this peace, there's a turning that needs to take place away from ourselves. There is a repentance that needs to take place. There is a uh, coming to God with all of our fears from him and saying, I know all this secret sin that I've been hiding up. God, it's not a secret to you. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your very son to me that I can now lay it down and you forgive me of even all the recesses of my heart that I've been hiding from you and we can be fully known by him and we can worship this one that has come and he's come in humility and he has come to die and take it that those who receive him, he is now our savior, Christ the Lord. And we don't have to be in fear anymore of God because of the peace that this one brings to us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why don't we have to be afraid anymore? Because this one that has come has paid for our sins on the cross. We don't have to be afraid anymore because our salvation is now secure by this one that has come, good news of the gospel. Death no longer has a sting over us. We are now victorious because he was victorious and walked out of the grave and resurrected new life. And he now grants to us everlasting life. Your life will be whole now because of Christ. He gives us purpose and he gives us meaning. Life is not random. We don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to just exist to try to get by unnoticed. We can be fully known by him and he gives us incredible purpose. His spirit that he gives to us will strengthen us along this journey of life that we have. And knowing Christ gives us the assurance that when we breathe our last, we will most assuredly see his face and glory. That's the peace we have in Christ. That is the assurance of the peace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ that he gives to us this Christmas season. Let's pray together, church. God, we just thank you for the good news of the gospel.
God, we haven't deserved it. We don't earn it. We can't figure it out, God. You have just declared it to us. And so we thank you for this great, grand, amazing, glorious news that Jesus has come to us. And Lord, he has removed our fear and he has instead given us peace. We are reconciled now because of this one that was born. Lord, I pray today for anyone in this room that has not received that one that has come, Jesus, that this Christmas season, God, would you work in their hearts in a way that only you can, God, and maybe for the very first time this year, would you have them receive Jesus as Savior and Christ and Lord. And God, may they place their faith in that good news that you've given to us. God, for those of us that know him, God, forgive us for marginalizing him to the recesses of this season. Lord, may we place him in the place that he deserves at the very forefront of our minds. God, I pray even in these next few moments that those that call themselves Christ followers would worship and sing like the angels declared these songs that stir in our hearts the truth of who you are. Help us to be worshipers of you. Help us to be lovers of you. Help us to be um, lay our lives down, our preferences down to know and follow you. God, thank you for the, the peace that you've given to us through the good news of the gospel of Jesus that he came to us. We love you, we trust you, we praise you. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray these things, amen. Let's stand and worship him, church.